Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. Perhaps the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. Hey listeners, it's now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Welcome to today's episode, episode 258. This is going to be another highlight of 2021, whereby we're sharing some of the wonderful guests that we've had throughout the year. And I've got three wonderful guests to share with you today. But before I go there, just want to really encourage you to think about your goals for the year and where you're going and what you're wanting to do. We're now going into, we're now in month two and underway in the year. And it's really important for you to think about now where you want to go and probably reflect on the year, that on the month that's just been. Do a little bit of a reflection exercise. Ask yourself the three questions. Hey, what went well? What could have been done differently? And what will I do now differently going forward? And do a reflection on the month that's just been. Because you see, we've got the months ahead and we're already into the second month. And now it's about you really putting your foot on the accelerator and making things happen. If you haven't already put a review or a rating on the podcast on Apple or or a rating on Spotify, going to really ask you to go ahead and do that. We would love you to do that because it's really going to help the actual impact and the visibility of the podcast, allowing other leaders to see this podcast so then they can learn as well. So please go ahead and do that. Now, three wonderful guests to share with you this week. 218, that's episode 218, Jared Hummel, and he's sharing what the episode's called The Real World is Controlled Chaos. Wow, what a topic. 219, Christy Demoise, being willing to have your mind changed. And uh, really cool episode. And then episode 221, Dr. Nadia um reinvent or perish. Now, all three brilliant guests, and I'm really going to encourage you to take notes, sit back, and enjoy. Tell us, is there anything else that you would want to share with us about your background? Yeah, I guess I say um, I focus on leadership and I'm industry agnostic. So I spent the first few years of my career in manufacturing, then the next couple of years in turnaround consulting. 
And then our, I actually started with our parent company, which is a staffing company. And then from there have grown our digital marketing agencies. So I think the unique part about me is just finding the leadership trends that we've throughout totally different kinds of businesses. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a, a younger guy, <laughs> I've got to see a lot of things and you start to put patterns together of what things stand true through, you know, industry, geographic, location, whatever it is. Awesome. And so we're going to be talking a little bit more about those patterns you may be seeing through throughout businesses and so forth going forward. And and I noticed that you're doing a little bit of research on you that you're always excited to talk about how your passion for sports informs your approach to, say, team building and things like that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I, you know, they say like, you know, what you learn in school, you probably forget 90% of as you enter the real work world. But growing up, I actually had the chance to play on some really high performing teams. So you probably don't have much of it down where you are, Dennis, but ice hockey is a big sport in Minnesota. So <laughs> that's what I grew up. Minnesota in the United States is kind of, we're called the state of hockey. We don't quite compete with Canada, probably in terms of the country of hockey, but yeah, that's really, I would say a lot of the things I've learned, even through my career, I still relate back to the high performing teams I was on growing up and, and watching teams that now have, you know, half the team has played in the NHL, might not have won a championship at a youth level because there was too many egos or not the right coach or whatever. And then you have these average teams where, you know, all of us are in the business world now that did great, great things that no one thought we could accomplish. And again, looking at the patterns, I look back to, to why those teams melded together in a way that they did to achieve success. And so that's, you know, as I go through my leadership meetings and, and whatnot, even today, you know, I always find myself going back to, to sporting <laughs> analogies that I've found to be true. Yeah, interesting. You, you talk about ice hockey. I, cause I traveled a lot with my global role around with Hewlett Packard and went to the U.S. a lot every year. And in particular to the Bay Area in San Francisco, but also into Dallas where, um, EDS used to have their headquarters and then they were bought out by Hewlett Packard. And I got the chance to go by a very good friend of mine to take me to an ice hockey game. And it was the Dallas All-Stars, I think it's called. Dallas Stars, yep. Dallas Stars, Stars. yep. And then the other one was the Canadian, and I, I'm going to get it wrong, uh, Maple Leaf, is it? Yep, Toronto Maple Leafs. Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, cool. So I got to see that game live, but they also happened to have the Stanley Cup there. And oh, so wow. I got a, so I got a photo of the Stanley Cup. And then there was a guy there who was the commentator, who's the commentator on TV all the time for the ice hockey games. And so... I actually found out later because I had a photo with him, got to meet with him. I actually was his guest. I, I went on his ticket. And oh. <laughs> uh, so it was pretty, pretty cool. And so, yeah, what a, I just loved the whole atmosphere, not, not just the game, but the whole atmosphere and what it was like. And yeah, uh, first time I've ever been to it. And yeah, I really liked it. So I think it's quite cool. And I, and I get what you're saying about that team building side of things and how it all works together. So it's pretty good. It's probably mostly a European, Russian, like US Canada is predominant, but I think it is like, there's a lot of things to learn, like tennis, you know, it's a single person sport, the mental, like on off, like I've read a ton of books of, you know, psychologists who have coached tennis players and like the skills needed to be an independent contributor versus hockey is a game of flow and execution and positioning. And not only do you have the five guys on the ice, but you have 
another 15 guys on the bench and the strategy behind that. And so just all the different sports, even though growing up in hockey, you just, every different sport has like its own lessons and team sports versus individual sports. And, you know, I've just tried to, like I said, intertwine that as much as, as possible into my business life as well. Yeah, very good. Tell us a little bit more about your background. Yeah, you bet. So like you mentioned, I've been at eBay. Funny enough, I think I need to update my profile. I've now actually been there almost 20 years, if you can believe that. So I'm about to hit my 20 year anniversary in March. And so really, I've been there 20 years, but I've been under multiple CEOs, multiple. I've been through extreme growth, extreme, you know, some turnarounds. I've really been at one company, but it feels like I've been at five or six. And prior to that, I did my undergrad at the University of Wyoming and grew up in Wyoming. So, yeah, so that's a little bit about me. Awesome. And I think we actually, uh, we being Hewlett Packard, took one of your CEOs, actually. So we had Meg Whitman come come and become our CEO. That's right. That's right. I was under Meg Whitman. I think she was the CEO when I first joined. So I was obviously under her the whole time. So we shared CEOs. We'll have to see if we shared some some leadership experience there. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So 20 years in the organization and you've done, as you said, various roles, which is really, really important because a lot of us have been in these large organizations. Today, we see a lot of people in leadership roles go from one company to another company to another company, 80 months, two years, three years. And being in one company for 20 years, 30 years is a bit rare nowadays. How are you found being in an organization that long and then going from different role to different role? What's it been like for you? Yeah, I'm so glad you say that. Honestly, sometimes I have a little bit of what's the word, anxiety about having been there so long. And I question myself, like, should I still be here like this? This isn't the norm. This isn't what people do. Am I, am I going to impact myself down the line? But, but ultimately the reason I continue to stay so long is because as you've talked about, like leadership is changing, business is changing. So even though it's been one company, I've never stopped learning. I'm still so passionate about our mission. And I love the people I work with that every time I question myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, almost 20 years. That's way too long. I cannot still be here. And then I go through and I ask myself, am I being challenged? Do I have opportunity to learn? Do I believe in what we're doing here? Do I love my team? And I always check all those boxes. So I've just continued to stay. But yeah, it's been, there have been times where it's been really hard and times where it's been really exciting. And you can imagine it's been all the emotions and all the things. It's like you get everything that you want in life and in leadership roles all in one place, right? It's a one-stop shop. And yeah, I, I get it because I spent many years within EDS slash Hewlett Packard and you had so many things to work on. It was like a new organization every time. And there was mergers and acquisitions and then there was changes of CEOs and leaders and you were going through constant change while also being in the same foundation. But there was that one thing, and I and, and I think you've you hit it on the head. It's and either way, I look at it. It's the DNA of the organization. It's the people you work with. I seriously miss the people that I used to work with in, in the organizations. And it's it's friendships. It's it's people, and we still hang around together and things like that. I think it's something that's really really important for us to have is as a community of people nowadays, in particular when we are working at home alone so much. Oh, I could not agree more than that's like, in fact, really joining eBay really after undergrad, like some of my best friends I met there Just you know, being in your early twenties, like that's where you meet your work friends, you know, and they become your sort of leadership circle, if you will, where, where they just stay with you. So some of them are still there and many of them have moved on. Many of them have left and come back. So 
I totally agree. And it's, it's really interesting to think about the return to office and what that means. I think a lot of people are talking about like, oh man, why did I ever go into the office? I can sit at home in my sweatpants and drink my coffee without my commute. But to your point, I think there is a future where that human face-to-face connection still does add so much value and is important for leadership and for organizations. So it'll be interesting to keep watching, you know, how all these companies adjust and decide to, you know, I think most are saying we're going to be doing the hybrid experience. So it'll be interesting to see how that all turns out. But I completely agree that that human connection is so, so important, especially when you're leading teams and when you want to connect with your leadership. Yeah, yeah. Now, talking about leadership there, you just mentioned, how did you get into leadership? Yeah, great question. As I was thinking about coming to chat with you, I was like, how did I get into leadership? And oddly enough, I'm going to bring it back to like high school. Ultimately, I was a, we are a big sports family. And so um, I'm a big sports person. I played softball, soccer, and tennis growing up. And like looking back, like that's really where I started my leadership journey Whenever I was on a team, I often find myself stepping up and sort of setting the tone and the culture. And I think that's where I really sort of kind of realized, oh, I love people and I love leading them and I love creating a good experience. And so that ultimately took me into college and then into eBay. In college, I even led some teams like really funny jobs, like I managed a movie theater. And so I had to manage employees of the movie theater. And so, you know, that was a tricky one because I'm, you know, mostly managing people my age and a similar experience. So I actually think as silly as it is, I learned so much from it. And then coming into eBay, kind of same thing. Like I immediately, it was intended to be a temporary job. It was shortly after September 11th, having mentioned I've been here almost 20 years and the economy was weird. What I thought I was going to do was not happening anymore. And so I thought I got a temporary job at eBay. But as I mentioned, I fell in love with the mission and the people. And then slowly but surely, I noticed that I kind of, you know, in meetings, I would be speaking up or I would be supporting other people. And then it just naturally became where I was like, oh, I love helping others and supporting them and leading them. And so that's sort of how I, I fell into it. It was never really a conscious decision, but it's just what felt right. Mm, interesting how you say you fell into it, right? I mean, a lot, I think a lot of people do fall into that leadership role. Now, the sports that you said were softball, tennis? And soccer, football for maybe for you, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 soccer, yeah, football, yeah, cool. So we, we shared CEOs and now we share sports, right? I mean, I used to play as a kid softball and then tennis, things like that. So Hey, this is good. Oh my gosh, Excellent. I love it. Yeah, those are my favorite. Yeah, I was thinking about like in tennis, I was as a senior, I was first singles, you know, which meant that I was intended to be the best. And it was really interesting because I felt like I culturally led the team, but then I had to fight for that position officially, you know, so that's how I think. And like we've, I have two boys and we really, you know, they love, luckily they love sports, so we don't really have to push them. But that's one of the main reasons I do push them into sports is like seeing them, you know, grow their leadership skills at such a young age. I think of my 13 year old, he's been on a baseball team for about a year. And just this last weekend, they went and won a tournament. And I think it's largely because of his own leadership and the way he's changed the culture and the team to really care about one another. It felt like originally they were all sort of individuals working on a team. And over this weekend, I've just watched them become a team and fighting together. And it's been really cool to see, even in my kids. Tell us a little bit more. Is there anything else you'd like to share about your background? Oh, sure. I was born in the Soviet Union. Talking about why I'm in leadership and change, you can imagine that Soviet Union as a region has gone through tremendous amount of disruption and change in the last hundred years. So I was born to a family of uh, political dissidents. Most of my great grandparents and grandparents I executed. And I grew up searching 
for a way to live in the world that felt a little bit more hopeful. So that's my background. Wow. Wow. Well, what an amazing background. And so when did you, were you born in the U.S.? Did you move to the U.S.? I was born in the Soviet Union, the part of the Soviet Union that is now called Kazakhstan. And most people don't know a few things about Kazakhstan. Number one, it's the ninth largest country in the world. So we have a lot of land and almost no people. Why do we have almost no people? Because about 90 years ago, in the late 1920s, early 1930s, the Soviet Union government created a genocide that murdered 40% of Kazakh people. So this is the history of my land. I came to America on a scholarship to study civic education, psychology, and management in 1998. Excellent. And you've got a doctorate in organizational behavior, is that right? Absolutely. That was an absolute gift. This was my professor group, a group of professors in college who pretty much kicked me. <laughs> I was, I was refusing to do a doctorate and I wanted to go to New York City where all of my friends went after college and they said, you will not be happy. So you will apply and you will say no only when they say no. So I went on and did my doctorate very, very young, right after a bachelor degree. Wow. Brilliant. Excellent. And so what was the transition like for you coming to the U.S. to live or going to the U.S. to live? What was that transition like for you? Well, everything you can imagine. I came here in 98. At that time, we had no emails. I called my parents once a month on a five-minute prepaid card. And for the remaining of the months, they didn't know if I was alive or dead. The best guess was that if I'm dead, they will be informed. That's Mm. about it. I love the amazing quality of education. I got such a glorious education in terms of uh, my college and then later my doctorate. I went to school in upstate New York. Then I went to Case Western. There is no way I can ever repay the quality and the care that I got during my education. And that carried me through. Uh, I think mm. the, the care of professors and community around me is what carried me through. Yeah, isn't it wonderful when you get the right people around you to support you? It's amazing what you can go off and, and achieve and be, which is which is brilliant. And I think it's really important that we do network. But I think the key I'm going to say here with a caveat is that you have the right people around you. And I think that's really, really important. I am with you. I think... The combination makes magic that can never be explained with rational thought. Uh, yeah. Why did we blossom so much? Mm. This collection of kids who barely spoke any English and we all have glorious careers around the world because we were at the right place at the right time with an amazing group of professors. Yeah, and, and then how did you come together with those professors, right? In other words, how did that all happen? It's like magic. It's really, really amazing. To, to see as well. So Nadia, how did you get into leadership? That was a story long before I left the Kazakhstan land, right after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So you can picture this Soviet Union collapsed without any prior warning. There was no referendum. There was no discussion. There was no vote. There was no warning. Three people got drunk in the woods and signed dissolution documents. The president of our country was in flight trying to stop them at the time of this happening. And he was too late. So one day we wake up, we have no government, no police, no ministers, no healthcare, no 
nothing. My country was so taken by surprise that it took us almost three years to develop our own currency. So there was this absolute wow. vacuum on the ground. And at that point, in just a few years later, in 1992, I believe, an amazing organization was born called Association of Young Leaders. It was mm. born in partnership with California Association of Student Councils. And the goal was to give basic leadership skills to young people, people in their late teens, early 20s. And imagine my surprise that after being trained at a Association of Young Leaders conferences and then becoming a facilitator and a coach, I come to do my doctorate and I learned that what we were teaching and using was actual science. I was just blown away. But we were introduced to Tuckman's theory of group development, for example, a lot of tools on strategic planning and many other things in leadership theory that I use to this day. So I got very, very lucky that in a very young age, I was introduced to some of the best leadership thinking in the world because of this vacuum, this opening that was left out of the collapse and the rebels of the Soviet Union. So did you actually have a desire to be a leader? Was that, where, where was that, that desire to get involved and learn about leadership? Where did that come from? But you see, I have a, a particular point of view on leadership. Right. I do not believe that you are a leader in the sense of a title or a noun. Leadership for me is a space you enter and exit many times a day. I do leadership or I enter the space called leadership 20 times a day and then I exit. And it is a choice, a particular mode of activity or my particular way of operating around the world that comes as a cocktail with many other forms of operation and many other forms of behavior. So I felt like I need the skill set because many times during the day, I need that particular activity if I want to be successful. Mm. Mm, I like it, how you enter into a space and you exit it as well as a leader. And maybe similar to the way I look at it as, as well as sometimes we have a, it's like baseball caps, right? Mm-hmm. So you might be a, a coach, a leader, a mentor, and a trainer, possibly. And within a certain discussion or conversation, I might be changing that cap, those caps a lot, right? So I might be entering it. So, but I like the way that you put it, that you can enter into that space and exit out as, out as well, because there will be times where you are the leader and there'll be other times where you're the follower or you may be doing other things as well. And I really like that whole analogy that you just shared. I love that. Well, it comes from a nomadic culture. I think most Aboriginal societies around the world and Kazakhs are nomads that still to this day don't have their own alphabet. We used to borrow Arabic and currently we're using Cyrillic, but our own alphabet is oral because we never wrote things down. Nomads don't write things down. So the traditional Aboriginal cultures all look at leadership as a circle, as a dynamic force that is larger than any human being. And you enter the circle and you exit the circle. You don't hold (laughs) the power indefinitely. So you can find it in a lot of mythical traditions. You will find it in a lot of kind of processes and organizational structures of a typical council in a typical village. It's very circular and it's very much a space type of metaphor. Well, listeners, what a wonderful episode that has been. Three wonderful guests, leaders lead. What a wonderful thing. Now, episode 218, Jared Hummel, uh, 219, Christy Demoy, and of course, 221, Dr. Nadia Zhekambayeva. And if you haven't already checked them out, go and check out the full episodes. 
really good insights and love to get your feedback as well and understand from you what you are getting from those different episodes you're listening to. All right, team, go ahead, bring another month forward and go for it and have a great time in leading others. Hey, listeners, what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they're being released. Download them, have a listen, put a review and a rating. Feel free to share them with your friends, your family, and your network. Hey, if there's any feedback you'd like to give me about the show, or if there's a question you have for the Ask Dennis Freestyle episode, then send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey, listeners, it's always a pleasure being with you. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 